Hello, friends, and welcome to UFO Mod Pod. I'm Jason McClellan. And I'm Ryan Sprague. Thanks for joining us today, guys. Maureen couldn't join us today, so you're stuck with the guys. But like always, let's get the show started by discussing some of the UFO-related stories that have been in the news lately. And we're going to start off just doing a quick mention of Edgar Mitchell. We haven't talked about this yet. Edgar Mitchell passed away on February 4th, the eve of the 45th anniversary of his lunar landing. This Apollo astronaut and sixth man to walk on the moon was a firm believer in UFOs, intelligent extraterrestrial life, and extraterrestrial visitation. The NASA astronaut and former Navy test pilot was an intelligent and highly regarded scientist with a doctorate from MIT, yet he publicly and confidently spoke about his extraterrestrial beliefs. In 1996, Mitchell revealed on Dateline NBC, quote, I have no firsthand experience, but I've had the opportunity to meet with people from three countries who, in the course of their official duties, claim to have had personal firsthand encounter experiences, end quote. During the same interview, Mitchell opined that UFO activity and UFO incidents like Roswell are covered up by governments. In an interview with UFO researcher and filmmaker James Fox, Mitchell shared his belief that humans have reverse-engineered extraterrestrial technology, and humans using this technology are possibly behind some UFO-related events like alien abduction, as was recently suggested in the revival of The X-Files. And Ryan, let's talk briefly about The X-Files. That uh, six-episode revival has come to an end, and uh, we can now discuss our true feelings about this revival of our beloved show mm-hmm. curious well, to coming, hear what you thought i'm yeah coming to an end is a stretch uh i am i i don't know what to think jason <laughs> i've been racking my brain for a positive review of this six these six episodes yeah. and honestly man like that last episode I get what they were going for, this grand conspiracy and this, uh, you know, this invasion, as it were, with this this disease that they were saying was caused by alien, uh, you know, DNA. And it, it was uh, it was too much for what they were working with. You know, I mean, basically, we had two episodes to tell this story arc and um, they left us with the biggest cliffhanger they ever have and uh to not know what's coming next in terms of more episodes or a movie uh it was pretty gutsy on chris carter's uh behalf but you know it could also be very smart leaving us hanging so much it may get people to really uh protests that we need these answers we need them (laughs) (laughs) well that's pot that's a possibility for sure yeah Yeah, you're right i mean they the the first and the last episode were really just crammed full of of just trying to fill the plot in those two episodes alone so much they tried to accomplish and although that was a little rushed the series overall and big chunks of all of these episodes were so slow i mean look i i wish vince gilligan had been part a part of the writing of these episodes but it almost felt like he was being how slow they were you know it felt (laughs) like i was watching breaking bad or something with these incredibly slow spans of time where nothing was happening and just wasted Mm -hmm. time really but I got to say, I mean, the acting, the plot lines, the dialogue, it really seemed like with a lot of this, they kind of phoned it in. 
Oh, absolutely. I, I am convinced that these were scripts that were thrown out during the original series. Yes, that's a good idea. And that they just updated them, you know? Yeah. They did. I did enjoy some of the focus on uh, Mulder and Scully and their relationship. But again, like you said, it came out of nowhere. It was in the middle of these highly uh, uh, convoluted plots. And we completely lost track of what the relationship was, what it is and what it could be amidst this huge grand conspiracy. Um, So, yeah, I, I really feel like these were episodes that were thrown out and revived and just updated with a few things here and there. It's, it's unfortunate. Um, I, I, I think we all expected to relive those days and have that nostalgia. And while it was good to see them again on the screen, it just, it was not the same simple as that. It was not the same. Well, and that's always the, uh, the challenge with doing a revival and you have to go into it, I think, understanding it's not going to be the same because it can't be the same. You can't recreate that. You're, you're yeah. creating something new. But, uh, you know, my criticisms aside, I'm very happy that they they did bring it back. I did enjoy watching it. Yes. But, man, they just kind of – I'm hoping that if they do more, which they probably will, they'll kind of insult us like they did in this reboot and – or revival. And – uh We'll say that everything we saw in those six episodes was Mulder high. (laughs) It didn't really happen because it it doesn't make sense. (laughs) They just threw everything out that they'd established and created something brand new. And it was ridiculous. Yes. Agreed. (laughs) Agreed. We might get some hate on that, but uh, please. (laughs) I'm sure Fox is getting it much worse. Oh, absolutely. Well, like we said, Edgar Mitchell was somebody who believed that the government has knowledge of UFOs and extraterrestrials. And somebody else who shares that view is John Podesta, Hillary Clinton's current campaign manager. And he recently clarified to Las Vegas CBS affiliate KLAS that Hillary Clinton is indeed serious about UFOs. You probably remember this, but on December 29th, 2015, Clinton told the Conway Daily Sun that she is, quote, going to get to the bottom of the UFO issue. She also opined, quote, I think we may have been visited already. We don't know for sure. As KLAS investigative reporter George Knapp points out in his story that aired on Monday, March 1st, CNN characterized Mrs. Clinton's remarks as jokes. But according to Podesta, he and his candidate are serious. Podesta has encouraged journalists to ask his candidate about UFOs, and a few have done so, Knapp reports. When asked about Podesta by the Conway Daily Sun back in December, Clinton said, He's made me personally pledge we are going to get the information out. And Podesta verified that when speaking with KLIS. I think I've convinced her that we need an effort to kind of go look at that and declassify as much as we can so that people have their legitimate questions answered, he says. Podesta continues, More attention and more discussion about unexplained aerial phenomena can happen without people who are in public life who are serious about this being ridiculed. Knapp comments that the government's interest in UFOs officially ended with the closure of Project Blue Book in 1969, but suspicion remains that unexplained encounters involving national security are still being studied by someone, and Podesta is a strong advocate for the release of government files related to UFOs. So, you know, Ryan, I think this is, it's good to see that uh, John Podesta is still championing this cause. Mm-hmm. You know, he's done it before with 
President Bill Clinton and President Barack Obama, and now mm-hmm. with Hillary Clinton. So who knows if uh, you know he's eventually going to have any success. But that being said, it's good that he's continuing in his cause. He's continuing to try and not being defeated by uh, his inability to achieve success so far. Yeah, I mean, I I commend this guy, Jason. I really do that he's he's still doing this. I mean, I know even in the interview, he said, uh, despite ridicule, you know, mm-hmm. I've come in for my fair share of people asking questions about whether I'm off my rocker is mm-hmm. how he put it. Yeah. Um, but I've been a longtime advocate of declassification of records, like you mentioned earlier. Um, this isn't so much about Podesta's personal beliefs in an extraterrestrial presence. It's merely the declassification of files right. on the topic, which I think is great. You know, um, he's keeping it very grounded. He's keeping it in a way that the, you know, political parties, as it were, uh, can communicate with. You know, it's things they understand. Um, So whether or not we'll ever get these files that he believes are out there, um, that's yet to be seen. But it seems we're we're headed in a good direction. More and more files. Uh, I know the MOD is releasing a bunch uh, within the coming month or so. So who knows? Who knows? Maybe we can get Podesta to go over to the UK and start doing this over there. <laughs> I, I have to point out that with you know him on the campaign trail right now with with Hillary Clinton, uh, anytime the Hillary UFOs thing makes headlines lately, mm-hmm. we don't hear the end of people saying, "Oh, they're just trying to get the UFO vote." Right, guys. Listen, <laughs> there is no UFO vote. No politician cares about trying to get a handful of votes from fans of UFOs. It's not even on their radar. You know, they would be better suited going out and pandering to, I don't know, graphic designers or SEO specialists, you know, any (laughs) biologist, you know, any group of people, but it's not worth their time. They don't care about targeting a small group like that. And especially the UFO group, because... Although UFOs are very popular and people like, in some capacity, like UFOs and extraterrestrials, it's not a big vote getter, guys. So, no, there's no angle there. They're not angling for votes. In fact, they would be better served not talking about extraterrestrials, as has been proven in the past. But this is, like Ryan said, I mean, this is something that Podesta is very passionate about. It is about transparency, about disclosing to the public what the government knows. He's not saying aliens have been here. I'm a super alien nut guy. Yay. No, he's Mm -hmm. saying the government evidence suggests that they know more than they're telling us. So let's get that information out to the public because the public deserves to know. That's all there is. And Ryan, Podesta is a huge X-Files fan. I would love to find out what he thought about the X-Files revival. Me as well. He'll (laughs) just have to have another uh, birthday party themed around the X-Files. Yes. (laughs) Well, people love to either praise or complain anytime or question anytime a president or public official talks about UFOs. And President Barack Obama, again, talking about UFOs recently on February 12th, he was on The Ellen Show where he was asked by six-year-old presidential expert Macy Hensley about aliens. When she asks if aliens are real, the president assures Hensley that we haven't actually made direct contact with aliens yet. Now, was he being genuine with his response 
or was he providing an intentionally deceptive answer? Well, Ben Hansen, lead investigator on Sci-Fi's Fact or Fake Paranormal Files, our friend and former guest of this show, took the time to analyze President Obama's response to the alien question. Now, although Hansen is not an expert in nonverbal communication, he does hold degrees in sociology and criminology and has experience analyzing nonverbal communication from his background in law enforcement. So we have that video on RoguePlanet.tv of Hansen's analysis. Go check that out, and we'd be curious to hear what you guys think of his analysis. Is he reading too much into things, or is he onto something? Do check that out, and uh, yeah, contact us and let us know your thoughts, because I'm always curious to hear what people think of Ben's analyses on these. He's done it before with uh, Bill Mm. Clinton and President Obama with their appearances on uh, Jimmy Kimmel. Yeah. Yeah, this one, this one was interesting. I, uh, I, I definitely see some of the stuff Ben is saying, like yeah. uh, he points out in the video uh, that we have posted. Um, and he says, you know, Obama's kind of contradicting himself when he's answering these questions. Um, is that perhaps what he's being told to change his opinion to or his his angle on answering these questions. Um, we don't know. But I, I think Ben's work is um, is definitely worth looking at. And uh, yeah, this is a fun one for sure. Nothing like seeing a little kid who has absolutely no inhibition when asking things like this. So. Yeah, no, it <laughs> it is fun. I do enjoy going through the analysis. It makes you think a little bit. So do check that out. But in our effort to provide a modern introduction to the UFO phenomenon for a new generation, on each episode of UFO Mod Pod, we highlight a historical UFO case. And because the 19th anniversary of the event is right around the corner, today we're highlighting the mass UFO sighting that took place in 1997, known as the Phoenix Lights. On March 13, 1997, calls began to flood in to the local authorities in Phoenix, Arizona, of a hovering object in the sky. The object was described as having five points of light and were in a flying V formation. It was enormous in scope and was completely silent. Many witnesses had reported the lights of the object as a brilliant amber color. The amount of witnesses steadily grew, with credibility ranging from every walk of life, including several airline pilots. Almost all the witnesses described being able to see the city lights reflecting off of the object, which was blocking out the stars above. Whatever it was, it seemed to be a solid craft. At approximately 9.30 p.m., the second incident occurred. A massive semicircle formation of lights were now hovering over the city of Phoenix. And unlike the V-shaped craft seen earlier, literally thousands of residents witnessed this formation. Unable to handle the barrage of reports, the local authorities rerouted the calls to a nearby Luke Air Force Base for further investigation. The event soon made national headlines, and the people of Phoenix demanded a proper investigation into just exactly what was happening over their city. Frances Barwood, a city council member, called for an official investigation. She was ousted from her position shortly after, some theorizing that it was because of the ridicule that came with the UFO investigation. But the public continued to press on, and eventually a press conference was held by Arizona Governor Fife Symington. Playing the entire event as a joke, an individual was led to the podium wearing a silver-suited alien costume. Symington warned the public that they were taking this way too seriously. Little did the public know, but Symington was much more concerned than he let on. 
Feeling pressure from his higher-ups, the press conference was meant to ease the concern over a security threat in reference to the sightings. But in a public statement in 2007, Simonson came forward to admit that he had in fact been a witness to the earlier event and saw the enormous V-shaped craft. The 1997 Phoenix Lights incident remains one of the most interesting and credible cases involving a mass sighting of a solid craft to date. One of the greatest sightings, in my opinion, um, not only because I myself saw the Phoenix Lights, but, uh, you know, just the thousands of people who saw it, years and years of investigation that's gone into this, Mm -hmm. and the lack of a plausible explanation. You know, the military came forward much, much, much later um, with the, the flare theory. But, mm-hmm. you know, that the timing of the events didn't even line up. And there have been recent developments that, uh, as, as were recently broadcast on Fox 10 News in Phoenix, mm-hmm. that kind of disproved the flare theory, although that's already been done, but even more so now. But this is an incredible case. And Fymington's statements later, she actually described the craft as not being from this earth. It's pretty incredible. Feimington was not only a public official, he was also a military pilot. Right. Yeah. I mean, this is the perspective of someone who's seen what we have in the skies and has that that extra, as it were, credibility in knowing what is out there and potentially what maneuvers these objects can make. I mean, the size of this craft and the ability to be completely silent. I mean, these are things that we... We find most compelling. I don't know about you, Jason, but I mean, some sort of propulsion that has no noise, that's that's big, you know, and having this thing over a major city, you have to wonder, you know, what what was the intention? Um, You know, there have been theories that this was some sort of stealth blimp that they were trying to see if they could make completely (laughs) untraceable by radar or even by the blind eye. A lot of theories, a lot of different explanations, and a lot of people questioning if the second incident, these so-called dropped flares, were sort of a smokescreen for what people had seen earlier. I mean, again, these are just theories, but plausible, possibly. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. And again, I mean, yes, thousands of witnesses, lots of witness testimony, but as is the case with witness testimony, it's not that great. And, you know, having talked to a lot of people about the Phoenix Lights over the years, there are a lot of stories that are completely different. You know, Mm -hmm. they're they're similar, but they're different. And that's because you're going to get different uh, recollections, different different stories from different witnesses. So, you know, I don't know that, uh, you know, we get a, a good representation of what actually happened, whether there were multiple incidents or not, whether there were giant solid craft. You know, it's difficult to tell, but something definitely happened. There was definitely something in the skies. It was not flares. It was extremely large. I mean, even if they, these were individual craft or objects, just the, the amount of area these things took up in the sky was massive. And if it was a solid craft, like uh, many people have reported, that would have to be one enormous blimp. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. And I mean, these these structures or these lights were seen in other cities and states prior to Phoenix. So you have that 
as well um, to sort of discount the whole flare theory. Um, but again, a lot of contention. And like you said, it's all about human perception. And when you have different varying uh, witness testimony, eh, that's a problem, but it's one we face constantly. And uh, again, still one of the most famous mass sightings of all time and definitely worth continuing to talk about even up till today. Absolutely. It is completely unsolved and probably will never be solved. Um, it is a fantastic mystery and something that should continue being probed. Who knows if anything will, uh, anything new will come out. But, you know, as we've seen in the past, I mean, these old cases that have been beaten and beaten again, decades later, a little nugget of something new comes out, you know, so it's always worth continuing the exploration and hopefully something new comes out. But, uh, you know, we're all just looking for answers, so. Exactly. And our guest on the show today is Dr. Lynn Kitai, someone who has spent years researching the Phoenix Lights. She's written a book about the incident, and she's even made a movie based on this book. We have reached that time of year when those of us in the UFO field are reminded of the incredible Phoenix Lights incident. And, of course, that also makes us think of our friend, Dr. Lenkitai, someone who has spent just shy of two decades researching this event. Lynn, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Absolutely. My pleasure. And uh, so glad we're talking about this because it has been 19 years. It's amazing since uh, thousands of people were looking up at the sky for a glimpse of the Hale-Bopp comet when they also caught a glimpse of a mile to two mile wide and very credible reports. These are these orbs, these giant balls of light, uh, canisters, according to a pilot that's in our documentary that was actually looking up into one, uh, that were equidistant in formation about a mile wide and a V-shaped formation. And many people also saw craft. And it wasn't just one or two events, as you would hear in the media or by the bunkers. It was actually many, many events and many different craft. If you go on the phoenixlights.net uh, website to the GAP page, Geospatial Animation Project, a 12-year compilation of thousands of reports to the National UFO Reporting Center in Seattle, Washington, to Arizona MUFON, to then um, Councilwoman and Vice Mayor Francis Barwood, as well as Village Labs, which was a clearinghouse, was a computer lab, here that was a local clearinghouse. After thousands of reports, after 12 years of studying, only reports that two or more people saw. There were actually 10 different craft hmm. that people were reporting, and they're very different. If you look on that page on the website, um, some even split into two and shot up in the air. I mean, just incredible um, uh, illustrations by, by Larry Lowe. And uh, so there were many things going on, whether it was one ship that could morph into looking differently or the perspective from where the person was standing or a parade of different craft. And that's what the investigators finally concluded because there was so much going on, different things going on in different locations, not only in Arizona, it was throughout Arizona, as well as New Mexico, California, and Nevada. Uh, there is so much more to this story and the technology itself that people were seeing on March 13th is just mind boggling. We haven't seen that in almost 20 years now, where not only were these mile-wide craft 
or objects going over, gliding over people's heads at rooftop level. Some people said it was so close they could have thrown a rock at it and totally silent. But some saw these orbs detach from the main object, go out into the environment and then redock with it later. And others saw these craft goes slowly over their heads and then take off at blink speed without even dispersing the air. In fact, there was one report, an alleged crewman from Luke Air Force Base called the National uh, Reporting Center, UFO Reporting Center in Seattle, Washington at 3 a.m. the following morning to report in great detail, and we have some of the recording uh, in, in the documentary that says explicitly there was one of these craft that was hovering right over central Phoenix at 7th Avenue and Indian School. And as the Luke Air Force military was approaching, and there were people that saw it, there were civilians that saw this happening, suddenly the lights started to dim, and then the whole craft blinked out. And the crewman said that he was actually one of the people to help one of the pilots out of his own craft because he was so shaken up by it. Mm -hmm. And then Luke Air Force Base was on, on lockdown. So they were very aware that uh, that something was going on. But um, again, thousands of people were seeing this overhead for many, many hours, starting mm -hmm. at 3 p.m. in the afternoon. And and I should mention that actually weeks before, um, a couple of us were, were documenting these orbs. But the main uh, event on March 13 started at 3 p.m., uh, was seen in five, at 5.30 by Native Americans in New Mexico, 7 o'clock hour in California. There were actually two commercial airlines with passengers and crew that saw one of these craft covering Las Vegas at the 11 o'clock hour. And then they continued, even though the bulk and that's that's why, you know, it, it got so famously out there that it was between eight and ten. The bulk of reports after it got dark and people were seeing this came in from eight to ten, but they continued into the night. And at five thirty the next morning, there was actually a Boeing crew that saw one of these craft hovering over their tarmac. So it was quite, quite an amazing, amazing event. And um, it's also important to note that in 19 years, there has not been one, not one report of harm, threat, or abduction associated with the Phoenix Lights mm -hmm. phenomenon. I can't speak for other things, mm -hmm. but I can for the Phoenix Lights phenomenon. In fact, in real time and long term, there has been such a positive transformation. Uh, the movie Independence Day was real popular six months before the mass sighting. And, you know, we're so inundated. We go into this in the documentary with threat, threat, threat and harm, harm, harm from Hollywood and the mm. media that, you know, when we see something strange, how are we supposed to react? Well, kids started jumping up and down Independence Day, Independence Day. <laughs> but as it got closer, Jason, a, a calmness came over everyone. Kids and adults alike, a connectedness to the phenomena that when it passed by, they wanted to run after it or have their parents get in the car and chase it. And then long term, um, we, we have found through the years consistently people tell us they were in awe they were in wonder they felt blessed having this experience and it has touched them to the core and i go into this in the book in great detail but that's really another important part of this whole phoenix lights phenomenon is not only the nuts and bolts and certainly somebody was trying to wake us up to their presence in a very uh, non-threatening uh, gentle way but and that we're not alone in the universe mm -hmm. but also to wake us up to, to who we are as human beings and, and um, how important it is to really be awake and, and to realize how fortunate we are to, to be living in this wonderful planet. 
Well, it's hard to believe that 19 years have gone by since what many consider to be the most incredible mass UFO sighting. And I know this is something you've researched extensively and continue to research to this day. You've written a book about it, you made a documentary about it, and that's awesome. But I'm sure some people assume that everything there is to know about a 19-year-old UFO sighting has been uncovered already. Is that true, or are we still learning new things? It's amazing, Jason. Every year, something new comes forward, whether it's a new witness. Last year, we had a brand new witness from Prescott who actually saw a a 10th craft, um, a boomerang craft. And then it was confirmed, which was amazing because we did a a TV news report and we were looking for other witnesses. And lo and behold, a a, a female witness came forward who saw the same exact thing uh, coming over Camelback Mountain. So this was a 10th craft. I mean, after 18 years, suddenly we have a a new craft that people were seeing. Um, And this year, Uh, which is really interesting because um, the biggest thorn in the side of of everyone that's involved with the Phoenix Lights, particularly the witnesses who saw it like myself up close and personal, and I'm the only one that got 35 millimeter photographs of them that have been extensively uh, analyzed and authenticated by university and military uh, optical physicists and, and experts and are true unknowns, uh, is that it, it's interesting how the story unfolds. And that's one of the reasons I came forward after five, seven years of anonymity in a 750-page journal later was because to set the record straight and, and also let people know as a physician um, that they're not crazy. Most, most anomalies can be explained. Only a small percentage cannot. But just because we don't have the technology yet to definitively define what these things are, it doesn't mean they're not real. We may be looking on the AM dial for an FM frequency. So it's important that we get this topic out in the open and address it and and accept it and study it so we can find out who's driving these things as well as move forward in our own evolution. But, um, you know, as far as uh, new information, the only the only explanation that had come out from the military and this was months later, there was no investigation, no explanation. It was uncanny. I mean, for for these mile wide phenomena to go right over people's heads. I mean, just as a public safety issue. There was nothing. Um, just briefly in a May council meeting, because she was so inundated by uh, requests from her constituents, uh, Councilwoman Vice Mayor Frances Barwood asked innocently. She didn't see it, but she was doing her job uh, for an investigation and she was plastered. I was very happy to stay in thought of this because the ridicule and criticism and discrediting were just rampant in, in 97. But at any rate, it wasn't until a USA Today article came out in June, June 18th, uh, front page that opened our sighting for the first time to international scrutiny. We were deluged by media from all over the world. And they too, once they started talking to the witnesses, their descriptions were so detailed and so heartfelt that they were saying, why isn't there an investigation? Why isn't there an explanation? Overnight, and we didn't have social media at the time, overnight it went viral. By the next morning, our former governor, Symington, called a press conference that afternoon to reveal the culprit, quote unquote, of the lights over Phoenix. And keep in mind, it was much more far reaching than Phoenix. It was throughout the state and beyond. But that's what they said. And and people took it seriously. And I have to tell you, Jason, he marched out one of his aides with a giant alien head costume and made a mockery of the sighting, which was mm-hmm. very disconcerting, mm-hmm. uh, not only for, for the witnesses, but for parents that were with children and saw this mile wide thing that they covered over, uh, you know, uh, shopping centers and whatever um, to make a joke out of it. And that kind of put a lid on it for about a month. 
um, the only hard evidence, and this is really important, the only hard evidence, and again, I'm the only one that has 35 millimeter actually before the mass sighting, two months before the mass sighting, I caught the same exact phenomena head on turning into a V-shape and, and called around and found air traffic controllers at Sky Harbor International Airport who saw the same thing at the same time. This is two months before. And if you go on the photo page of the Phoenix Lights Network website, um, you'll see the pictures there. It's it's really miraculous that I caught them in, in 35 millimeter, but they confirmed that they saw the same exact phenomena appear over Class B restricted airspace, about a thousand feet altitude, and turned against the wind and elevated slowly and moved behind South Mountain. And when I asked them, so what was it? They said, beats me. I said, you're air traffic controllers. You're supposed <laughs> to know it's in our airspace. And then again, on March 13th, I caught the same exact phenomena on video that's become one of the signature videos and called them the next morning. But I'll tell you what happened. A month after uh, the mass sighting, I was also calling military to find out if they knew anything. And they were just as curious as everyone else. They had no idea. Suddenly, I get a call on July 24th from one of the heads of PR at the Air National Guard. And she says, Dr. Lynn, I think we know what those lights were back in March. And I was thrilled. I was looking for any logical explanation. And, and I still have been, by the way, which I have not found in 19 years. And she says, do you believe that in uh, five months, we never looked at the log for Air National Guard and the, we had visiting Air National Guard from Maryland sending off flares in Operation Snowbird, which I later found out meant um, in military terms, diversionary tactical maneuvers. And she said, that must be what some people saw. That's exactly what she said. And I said, well, were the Maryland Air National Guard in town in January? She says, oh, no. I said, are you sure? She said, absolutely not. And I said, well, I have 35 millimeter photographs of the same exact phenomena in the same exact location two months before the mass sighting, confirmed by air traffic controllers in both instances two months before and the morning after March 13, 1997, as hovering over Class B restricted airspace, a thousand feet altitude. And she says, you never told me that. And then I said, besides, you're saying that flares, and I educated myself to anything logical, including military flares, that cannot keep a formation that drift and drop with the wind haphazardly in minutes have huge smoke trails that are illuminated by the flare itself and illuminate the area around it, which not one witness to date has described that saw the true unknowns, traverse the entire state in a rock-solid, equidistantly spaced, mile-wide V formation for hours? And she says, uh, I have a call coming in. I'll, I'll get back to you. Well, I'm still waiting. <laughs> anyway, three years later, and this is, I'm just giving you the real highlights here, but but it's so important because people don't realize that three years later, after Francis Barwood was then running for Secretary of State on a platform to get answers for the Phoenix Lights, it was that important to her. It becomes so important that she find answers and really get to the bottom of it. Um, she was really a, a, a an unbelievable force in in making this all happen. Uh, she requested a uh, reenactment of the Phoenix Lights, which was fine. I mean, fine. I mean, if it's military, shame on them for going over people's heads and dying it for months. But the flare theory was the only thing that came forward. Okay. Mm -hmm. And, um, and it was okay. If it's flare, show us. Now right. I knew I had 35 millimeter two months before the mass sighting and after the mass sighting, by the way, and video during the mass sighting, somebody did it multiple times. And 
two years before the mass sighting, by the way, Jason, my husband who's also a physician and, and I who had no interest or knowledge in this topic at all had a very close sighting to our home. I mean, literally and figuratively right outside our bedroom window. And I got 35 millimeter photographs of them as well that are on the photo page. And the same exact phenomena when we were looking at the close orbs is in the background in those pictures as well. I mean, those pictures are really important and have been analyzed uh, extensively at any rate. Um, so whoever did this did it multiple times. If it was military, fine, do it again. Well, right before the third anniversary, we finally get an announcement that three Air National Guards were coming into town to send off flares uh, to show everyone the Phoenix Lights. And if you go on the news page of the Phoenix Lights Network website and you scroll down uh, a couple of uh, blocks down, um, there's a CNN uh, Arizona family report that shows their flare drop. It was a joke. It was such a failure for them that it was an embarrassment, actually, because it didn't look anything like mm -hmm. the Phoenix Lights and really put the nail in the coffin. Um, hey, they had their shot and they blew it, um, that it was flares. But people still fed into this flare thing for all these years. It has been so frustrating, even after the 10th anniversary the former governor, Fife Symington, came forward to say that he actually saw a massive craft and in his own words was otherworldly. And still there are people out there. And I know that, that, you know, everyone comes from a different background, from a different upbringing, from a different belief system. Some people can't deal with this topic. Some people don't want to. And that's OK. Everyone in their own time. And if it gives people comfort to feel that they were flares, that's OK, too. OK, but it's never been proven. Well, and, and I will point out that. You know, flares aren't something that most people see in the sky. They do look weird. And although they are dropped quite regularly in uh, in Phoenix, they're not that uncommon, there's mm -hmm. still plenty of people in Phoenix when you actually see flares being dropped, they look bizarre. So they I do. can see people being confused. But, you know, I, I grew up in the middle of nowhere. I was in a very small area of Buckeye called Rainbow Valley, way out I in the middle of nowhere. And I was used to seeing the flares drop because I had a great view, uh, unobstructed view, really, out to Barry Goldwater Range where these things were routinely dropped. Mm -hmm. I had very good understanding of what flares look like being dropped from planes. And there's no comparison. The Phoenix exactly. lights had no resemblance to flares. Exactly. And I and I they, they even dropped, which is really interesting, um, a, a couple of weeks ago when the International UFO Congress was in town, um, they happened to send off a line of flares. And from we're pretty high in the mountain in Paradise Valley and I have a panoramic view of the city skyline. So that's how we get to see these things clearly from mm -hmm. our, our vantage point. And we know what planes look like in helicopters and streetlights and car lights and flares. We see mm -hmm. flares periodically. Um, so for the trained eye, like you said, um, you can tell the difference quite, quite. Uh, poignantly. I mean, they drift in, you know, they're haphazard, they have smoke trails, whatever. And in video, by the way, they do not look the same. The unknowns do not look the same as they do in real life. They're much smaller and white and flicker in the video. So mm -hmm. I can understand, you know, why, how people get uh, mistaken. But sure. what's really interesting is that just recently, a fella with high-tech equipment, and we've come a long way since 97, took the boomerang video, which is really the one that has been under fire for being flares. That was the one that yep. really...
It's really impressive. Um, my, my own are the three endpoints of a giant V or triangle, and there's also an arrowhead of five lights that was shot before 10 o'clock. The uh, boomerang, when supposedly the flares were set off, and they might have been, but there is, again, no proof of that. Um, the boomerang was shot after 10 o'clock, and uh, that really has come under fire. But recently, this fella took his equipment and showed quite vividly and if you're on facebook if you go to the phoenix lights network facebook page you'll see this wonderful fox report that was just done this past week that shows quite vividly that when he stabilized everything those lights did not budge and that is totally uncharacteristic of flares you can't have flares that stay in an equidistant line for any time i mean they they drift immediately and plus there was one lone light that split into two and mm. elevated. Right. And that's right. really important because the arrowhead video also has a light that splits. So mm. there's coordination there um, that we were looking, like I said, it, it, whether it was one craft that could morph or the perspective from where the person was standing or, or a parade of different craft, um, the characteristics are really unique and definitely not flare. So that's that's really a giant step forward, I have to say, and new information that, um, you know, changes the, the whole uh, narrative that, you know, if it wasn't flares, then what is it? And to date, it has never been reenacted or explained. Yeah, and I, I like I've, I've mentioned this before, but it, it has nothing to do with my personal experience. Uh, you know, seeing this event, but it, it's it's one of my my favorites to follow, just because it's so incredible. So many people saw it, and we don't have an explanation, and the explanations that have sort of kind of been offered uh, are pretty lame. Right. I mean, show me, you know, I'm a yeah. show me person. I saw it up close and personal. And, and just like uh, Symington mentioned, uh, what I saw was otherworldly. It just did not seem there was intelligence sure. behind it. Um, but it's nothing that we know of here on Earth. So where is it from? Yeah. Uh, who's yeah. behind it? Um, and that's questions that we'll keep asking. And, the, you know, the Phoenix Lights mass sighting has become the most witnessed, the most documented and most important mass UFO sighting in, in modern history. History, if not all of history. And, you know, we're still looking, we're still looking for answers. And that's, I think, the most important part here that now with social media, uh, when I came forward in 2004, after seven years of anonymity, the official and accepted, except for the witnesses and investigators, explanation of the Phoenix Lace was that it was merely military illumination flares. Well, we've come full circle here. People worldwide are looking up and seeing similar orb formations or which, by the way, have been around for centuries. OK, Na native cultures. And that blew me away when I found out that have accepted these phenomena as part of their culture. They welcome them. In fact, the Hopi in Arizona have protocols to invite them in and, and indigenous cultures worldwide um, believe that there are other intelligences out there and these orbs are part of that. And that's how the Estrellas got its name, actually, uh, meaning star in Spanish. And and um, But at any rate, the, that now worldwide, when people look up at the sky or, and see these orbs or these mile wide triangle craft, and they have been occurring also for, for decades that we know of um, that are documented, uh, they'll point and say, wow, there's the Phoenix Lights. And I have to say, Jason, that's pretty cool. It is. It's really cool. And, you know, I have to commend Fox 10 News and Phoenix. They routinely do a pretty darn good job covering this every year and treating it with the seriousness that it deserves. 
Exactly. And and they are a model. Actually, the, the Phoenix media, and, and, you know, when I was uh, when I first came to Phoenix, I, I started doing health reporting at NBC in Philadelphia with Jessica Savage. If you if you know that name, she was my mentor. She was incredible and uh, unfortunately had an untimely uh, demise. But when when I moved here, there was a syndication that I also did that was already showing in, in C, at CBS. And uh, in the early 80s, I started Health Team 12 at, at the NBC affiliate here and then USA Cable. Anyway, the people that I had worked with in the early uh, 80s that were just getting started. Um, when I came forward in 2004, we're now the head of the news department at Fox and the head of the production at CBS and um, and so forth. And it was like, you're Dr. X, which is what the investigators would call the person who had the pictures uh, for seven years. Um, well, come on over. And, and they knew I would not come forward if, and, and I'm just a, a voice, okay? If I could be a credible voice so people actually look at the data and that's the most important thing, then I've done my job. And they were so kind. They really embraced it. They knew I wouldn't have come forward if, first of all, I didn't do my homework, which I did. And secondly, if I didn't think it was important to impart. And ever since I came forward, they have been so incredible. I mean, and 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 credible. It's not a joke. And they know it's not a joke. And they right. even go out. I mean, there there are times like just recently when they sent off a line of flares and, and it was so obvious. But other people, like you said, are, you know, taken by them. And they say, well, the Phoenix Lights back. And immediately one of the stations jumped on it and, and showed the difference between flares and uh, and the true unknowns, which is amazing. I mean, that's educating people. And uh you know, they really have taken it seriously, even though some of the reports will be end up to be blimps or weather balloons or whatever. Um, they are a model for what should happen everywhere. It's right. not a joke. Something is definitely going on. And, and you know, I, I thank you for doing this. I mean, just to get the, the information out there and, and raise people's awareness and educate them to the to the true facts. The data speaks for itself. I just urge people to look at it. So I, I hope people will look at the book, The Phoenix Lights, A Skeptic's Discovery That We Are Not alone. And we're so proud. Our documentary has won over a dozen international film festival awards. Dr. Uh, astronaut Dr. Edgar Mitchell is in it and he just passed. And he, it's just such a wonderful, wonderful presence and, and really uh, such poignant messages from everyone in the in the documentary. The witnesses, 911 Phoenix uh, police operator that was on call that night and got hundreds and hundreds of calls is in it and pilots and military and so forth. And we're showing the documentary at a very special 19th anniversary event uh, on Sunday, March 13th at the Scottsdale Harkin Shea Theater from one to five. We uh, introduce the film, we show the uh, screening of the documentary, and then afterwards we have wonderful speakers. Uh, Travis Walton, who uh, just celebrated his 40th anniversary of his experience uh, in Arizona, as well as uh, Arizona Navajo Rangers, which it's pretty amazing that uh, law enforcement has taken this seriously as well here in Arizona, and they investigate these uh, phenomena and these reports, uh, as well as a Zuni elder, and he's going to describe how the Native cultures really embrace these phenomena which is wonderful, these benevolent phenomena. And uh, Rebecca Hardcastle, Dr. Rebecca Hardcastle, who has coined the phrase exoconsciousness, um, she goes one step further uh, in talking about our relationship with these other intelligences. And of course, we're going to have the cast and uh, a Q&A, which is amazing, uh, hosted by the cinematographer of our documentary who, who just moved to Phoenix. Uh, so he'll be here for that. And a book signing. So it's a, a really 
fun event and an experience for anyone that comes. It's sold out every year. So I urge people uh, to please say, look at our website, thephoenixlights.net, thephoenixlights.net, Phoenix Lights Network. It has information there as well as uh, uh, Facebook. Uh, Phoenix Lights Network Facebook page uh, has a link uh, as well as the uh, new Fox report, which is pretty, pretty wonderful. So um, I hope people check it out. Well, I love that you do this every year. I love that people are still 19 years after this thing are still contacting you with their personal stories. That's fantastic. Almost every day, Jason. I'm not kidding. Almost every day I get, and and more and more from military (laughs) and pilots that are sharing their stories. Fantastic. Uh, It it, it is pretty amazing. And and the more credible people, just like the the former governor, uh, the more credible people that come forward with uh, credible data and credible stories, um, the more we can get this out in the open and, and dispel the ridicule and the criticism and the snickering, because uh, it's not a joke. This is real, and it, it's time we really uh, got it out in the open and addressed it and and studied it. Well, I have to thank you so much for continuing to follow this important case, because I do think it's important. So thank you for the work you do. And I know this is a very busy time of year for you. So Len, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us today. Absolutely my pleasure. And and there's much more to this story. In fact, the connection between all unexplained phenomena that I that I uh, describe in the book and I, I call all unexplained phenomena uh, an up because of the positive uh, awakening enlightenment that happens. And I hope people will check it out. So keep looking up. Absolutely. Thanks, Lynn. Thank you. As always, if you have a UFO sighting or story you want to share with us, we would love to hear that. Use the contact form on our website, RoguePlanet.tv, and send those to us. UFO Mod Pod can always be found at RoguePlanet.tv, but we're also on Stitcher, iTunes, and some other places too. So subscribe to the show on iTunes and leave a stellar review if you enjoy the show. And if you like getting newsletters, sign up for our free strange newsletter at RoguePlanet.tv. We also have a new contributor at Rogue Planet. MJ Benias writes a column titled Not in the Manual, providing an inside humorous look at some of the craziness he's encountered as he's ventured down that dark tunnel of UFO investigations. Check that out. We've got more coming from him. Glad to have him on board. And thanks again to Lin Kitai for hanging out with us today. And thank you for joining us for this episode of UFO Mod Pod. I'm Jason McClellan. And I'm Ryan Sprague. And as always, guys, this episode remains classified. Classified.